You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Vicki Robin. I'm Douglas Soy, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. Admittedly, this is hard for me to talk about, but I'm going to try anyway because it's important. When my father died when I was seven years old, I wanted to be just like him. His absence formed a hole which I dutifully felt I could fill by becoming him. There was a problem, however. My knowledge of my father mostly came from a super idolized version told as stories by loving family members who wanted to give a little boy something to hold on to. He was the smartest, kindest, most romantic and loving man that ever walked the earth. So I did what any child or young adult would try to do. I tried to fill the hole of enoughness by trying to be all those idealized things. And I failed. The hole still existed. But then I discovered financial independence retire early, and I decided I could fill that hole with money, with stocks and bonds, real estate and entrepreneurship, and I worked and worked until the day that I declared myself financially independent and decided to leave my job. But then I fell into a panic-ridden depression, because no matter how much money I stuffed into that hole, it still existed. The work to fill that hole, to accept myself as enough, has now become part of my life's work. I no longer look towards money to solve a non-money problem. But sometimes I wish the idea of fire had come with a warning label. Money solves money problems, and nothing else. The rest is up to you. This from a passage in an email that Douglas Soy sent to me. Needing money prevents you from an internal orientation. After fire, you have no choice except to face yourself. All the bullshit of your life is gone, and you've run out of the excuses to looking within. After all, you don't need money anymore. Both your darkness and your life's work is revealed. Integrity and wholeness means all of you. Not everyone is willing to face that. From the Gospel of Thomas, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Douglas Soy focuses on people finding their spirituality outside of traditional religion or people who even don't think of themselves as spiritual, but sense there is something deeper inside of them waiting to be revealed. In 2020, in the midst of the pandemic, he started a two-year program to become a Franciscan spiritual director. He's interested in the nexus between our financial independence and our inner liberation. He's the author of the Money and Meeting newsletter. Vicki Robin is a prolific social innovator, writer, and speaker. She is co-author with Joe Dominguez of the international bestseller, Your Money or Your Life, Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Achieving Financial Independence. 
She was the host of the What Could Possibly Go Right podcast and currently is writing on her Substack, Coming of Aging. Douglas and Vicky, welcome back to Earn and Invest. Vicky, Douglas originally wrote me and said, quote, similar to the wellness industry, the fire movement implicitly promises that once you do this, all your dreams will be fulfilled. You'll be forever happy and you'll never face another problem again. And that's not my experience. The question that this brings up is, is there a disconnect between what the idea of fire promises and what it delivers? No small topic. <laughs> Not uh, at all. We we never do anything small here at Earn the Best. You know, um, we're going to just right out of the gate. I'm going to say things that are have never been said. The image that came up for me was my partner, Joe Dominguez, who was the epitome of that kind of rigid thinking. I mean, fire movement, I mean, besides Mr. Money Mustache, you know, it's very rigid. It's very engineering mind. Joe had an engineering mind. It's like, if you do this and you do this in this sequence, there's a protocol and you do the protocol in the sequence and you will get the result. Um, you know, he was very clear about that. Just do the steps. I'm not going to talk to you about, you know, your neuroses, psychoses, and, and halitosis. That's what he used to say. I just do steps. You know, I remember one time we were in a in a public talk, a couple hundred people there, and some young woman got up to ask a question she should have known better. But anyway, she said, I just don't know how to, to keep track of money. And he's, <laughs> he, he always had a little pocket protector, like, you know, engineers do with a pen and a, and a little notebook. He said, you take out your notebook, you take out your pen, and you write it down. So there is a engineering kind of rigidity to the entire notion of having a formula or a protocol that if you apply it to something squishy, protean, emotional, spiritual called life, somehow or another, you're going to get out of that formula happiness. And that was never my motivation in doing your money, your life. I was never interested in that. You know, he he said, well, if you do all these steps, it leads to financial independence. And I thought, no, if you do steps one through five, the inquiry, it leads to freedom of the mind, disidentification with money and the things that money can buy. And that was my purpose, you know, to write a book that would help enough people disidentify with money and the things money could buy to lower the impact of overconsumption on the planet. That was all I was interested in. But I somehow or another for a decade, I had to like, like reinforce the, the formula. And it actually does work for some people. I, I found out that mostly engineers and quilters did a great job with <laughs> the program. And other people did it their way. And they would confess to me, oh, I didn't exactly do the steps. And I thought, that's really okay. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's not the purpose. So, yeah, I will say that there is, there's a built-in sort of almost exclusion of the soul uh, into the ferocious narrative of financial independence, retire early. You know, it's uh, funny you say that because I... I think I wanted to exclude the soul 
because I was so afraid of facing this idea of being enough and living in my father's shadow. And I literally, this huge gaping hole in my life, I thought I could just keep pushing money into it. Exactly. And I actually found the rigidity comforting when I started, not at the end. Hopefully. But when I started, I found it very comforting. Don't worry, the complete mess and confusion of the world, you have a plan that if you apply this plan, you can you can drive right through the chaos into clarity and security. Very comforting, for sure. I'm not denying that. But it's not the whole deal. I suppose they, Douglas, like comfort and clarity sound like good things, don't they? Like security, I mean, this is all positive stuff. Why are we harping on this idea of this idea of a warning label or, well, it's not the whole story. I think I actually got this from Vicky, but I asked Vicky this about a year ago and she doesn't remember telling this to me, but uh, I've begun, begun thinking about it as the five stages of financial independence, um, sort of like the five stages of grief. But like the first stage is like disbelief, right? Like you go through and you're just like, did I do this? And you just keep on doing the math. And there's a real hesitation. Like, can I actually stop working? There's a second phase where I, I describe it as the party phase, right? You, you know, you do all the things, right? You, like I traveled around the world and like, you know, I, I spent time with all my friends and that's sort of the, uh, that's the promise, right? That's the marketing of financial independence. And then the third phase, I, I describe it as the boasting phase where you like, you tell everybody about, you know, that you did fire and you start a podcast or like, you know, I've been teaching. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or like, <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I teach uh, financial freedom. I, I have a school called School of Financial Freedom, and I've been teaching it for seven, eight years now, and I, I actually really love it. I mean, the way I've taught it changed because I've changed. But that's the third phase. And then the fourth phase, you know, I, you used the word, Jordan, in our conversation of dysphoria, right? Like, there's this there's this moment of, okay, now what? Right? Like, what am I really about? What do I care about? Like when I don't, I'm not forced to do anything. And I'm like, you know, the compulsion to have to make money to like make my monthly nut is gone. Or like, I don't have this long-term goal to get there. What am I really about? And that is a really disconcerting phase. Stage four. Yeah. It's depressing and anxiety yeah. and anxiety ridden. And stage five is whatever happens next. And I think that's what I'm really interested in exploring for, for people who have, have hit fire, like what happens at stage five for you? Vicki, it's interesting because as Douglas asked that, you know, part of me starts thinking that you've put it off this long. And my own story is that what comes next is wholeness or enoughness, us looking into ourselves to fix that which is wrong. But then I look at your life and some of the things you put your mind to, and you've gone also external, like, what is my place in this world and how do I fit in and make it better for people? And so what is that fifth stage? If Douglas says it's ill-defined, and I know for me, some of that was very much of an internal journey. Um, what is it to you? Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to take on the mantle of fifth stage reflections, <laughs> uh, which may or may not fit for me, uh, I would say that I was confused for a long time. I, I, um, I, I used to tell a story about, you know, wanting to know my purpose in life. And 
I mean, I met Joe when I already had some savings and he taught me how to, you know, apply the savings. So I got financially independent before doing all that stuff. You know, I just, what I figured out was I could live on $100 a month. Here's how I can do it. So I had, I can always live within my means. And for me, that was the adventure because I, I could learn about the world. And, you know, my adventure was not to climb the ladder, but to discover what this this life is really about and discover how to live on this planet. So I'm not necessarily like everybody else. And I wasn't off in the woods eating nuts and berries and killing rabbits with little traps. Although something like that <laughs> we did. But I was sort of under the tutelage of Joe. So I got financially independent before I'd actually gotten my feet wet in the world. You know, before I like found out who I am, you know, like bumped up against things. Not bad. I mean, I think a lot of us, you know, our lives are formed out of the ideas of somebody else who inspires us in some way. But I would say that it was really on the external level, it was in 1989. I've told this story many times when I found out that at a, at a major conference on sustainability and sustainable development that the level and pattern of consumption in North America is what's, you know, actually killing the world. And I, we've been teaching the program in your money, your life for 10 years. And I thought, bingo, this is the tool for, we could solve the biggest problem in the world. That's a little bit how my mind works. Oh, cool. It's really hard. We're, let's get going. Yeah, for me, that service to the world and service in these times has been extremely important. It's occupied me for 30 years. But recently, pretty much in the pandemic, I had time to dive back into the work of the heart and soul to go back. You know, not exactly your story about being a seven-year-old with a perfected parent. I was never that. But my own the own um, slipped stitches and skipped steps for my own life, you know, and it's been phenomenal and hard. And now I really feel like I'm way more engaged in the work of the soul. So I think that work has to be done at some point. It didn't happen for me in that sequence in a way that sort of aborted, you know, kind of like, going out in the world and, you know, rustling it up and making things happen and, you know, making mistakes that I skipped because I got FI when I was 23. <laughs> I almost had to get back in there. You know, in 1989, I saw a profession, you know, something I could do in the world. And I had a ball, you know, for 30 years making stuff happen. But, you know, then, so my, my, my delayed, <laughs> my delayed process happened in the last, I guess, Five to 10 years. Yeah. Douglas, you know, I'm, I'm listening to Vicky talk about this and I realize that kind of our work with our finances is one thing. And that's very much what we talk about when we talk about financial independence. But then Vicky just mentioned the work of the soul. And I think then we also have some external work to do out in the world as some internal work to do with ourselves. If we're talking about things about warning labels when it comes to fire, you know, one thing that hits me is I think we place a lot of emphasis on the financial being the hard part. And I know then for me, when I kind of started getting past the financial, I realized that actually what was hard part was some of that soul work and some of that outer world work. 
Are we selling almost a false premise uh, when I say we? I'm saying those of us who have been public about talking about fire and what what it is, especially maybe in some of those early days when it was very numbers focused. Yeah, when I teach financial freedom, and I, I got to say, you know, I read Your Money, Your Life in 1993, and when I was in college, and so I'm on some level Vicky's progeny. Like I I did this partially because of her, so you know I'll be eternally grateful, Vicky. But you know I come from this from, you know, my experience as a spiritual director, when I teach financial freedom, I talk about our external not enoughness, our desire for more and more and more actually is a manifestation of our internal not enoughness. And, um, you know, the financial freedom or the fire path is, is a pathway to, to actually see our internal not enoughness. Um, and not everyone wants to see their internal not enoughness either before or after they cross over. Um, so I'm actually curious your experience of seeing your internal not enoughness, Jordan. I mean, it was difficult. It was painful. Um, I'm thankful for the journey because I don't know if I had the courage to see it until I had to blow away that false mirage of money. Like I had to blow right through it in order to see past it. And so it was very disconcerting when you, you're you like, I figured out the secret to life and I just got there. And then to realize that I was woefully wrong, my having money solved money problems, but my money problems weren't what was truly keeping me up at night, even though I wanted to say it was. I wanted to say I'm worried I won't have enough money. I wanted to say I'm worried that I'm going to die broke. I wanted to say all these things, but deep down inside, that wasn't really what gave me restless nights. What gave me restless nights deep down when I really, really looked into it was I had this belief of what I should be and I could never quite live up to it. And it took me a long time and a lot of thought to probably realize that I was trying to live up to something that was impossible, that wasn't reality. And then I had to go back and reassess and start almost from the first block and start rebuilding again. I mean, I call it a hole, right? And filling that hole because a lot of times, by the time I was old enough to understand what that hole was, I had been building my life around it instead of addressing it. So it just kept getting deeper and deeper as I grew taller and taller. And so then I had to break everything down again and then start with new building blocks. But I couldn't have done that until I saw past the money because for me, the money was an excuse. It was the excuse for not doing that internal looking. Yeah, I would. It's interesting you say that, Jordan, because I have a number of friends who make a fair amount of money, and you know, I talk to them about fire, and they keep on doing the math, and they could retire when if they wanted. But what they say, well, one of, one of them said, and I think it applies for a lot of people, is they don't want to retire because, you know, they have excuses like, oh, you know, I'm unhappy because I have to go to these meetings or this, you know, this employee is a pain in the ass or whatever. And if they stop working and they're still unhappy, um, there's something much deeper to face. One of the things we did in Your Money, Your Life, you know, Your Money, Your Life is coded with all of this. It's definitely, you know, it sort of externally looked like a book about money, but it was not. It was a, it was a, Basically, a spiritual book coming out of people who dedicated themselves to a certain level of inquiry around what makes life worth living. So in Your Money, Your Life, we distinguish between a job and work. And I think that the dominant culture has occupied uh, 
our notion of work, which in, in I I can't like recite this perfectly anymore, but you know, in a Buddhist sense, that is your contribution. You know, you're taking your role in society, your sort of your householder period of time in society. And it's it's a spiritual development. It's putting yourself up against the the whetstone of life and seeing where your holes are, you know? Um, so that's the purpose of work. The purpose of work is not to make money. Money in this society is a byproduct. It is a, a shared ritual of how to meet our needs. And it's extraordinarily powerful. It's so powerful that it has occupied the entire world. You know, it has taken, it has like developed every little teeny weeny society that's escaped our, our, you know, influence. So it's not nothing. Money is, is like, it's almost like our core measuring stick or, you know, where the ladder leans, you know, who we are. It's so in a way, I think it's valuable to question not that not your ideas about money, like you're insufficient or, you, you know, your damaged goods. It's to question, to say, I have been born into a world that has given me this structure for meaning and purpose. And I have to play the game now because otherwise I'm going to be nuts and ber berries and trapping rabbits. You know, <laughs> It's like, I have to live this now. But it is not who I am. So I can distinguish between a job and my work. That is nowhere in the fire narrative. It's nowhere in the dominant narrative. It's being a loser, basically. I often feel that we could be more compassionate with ourselves if we understood that we're you know, we're living inside something that's dying. We're living inside something that is filled with false assumptions. And, you know, I mean, we can be paranoid about, you know, who's running the show, but there is a sense, as Joe used to say, is every time I get ends to meet, somebody moves the other end. We're in an endless reactive game in relation to a system that we barely understand. So, you know, we can have some compassion for ourselves. You know, yeah, you're caught in it. Of course you're caught in it. Who isn't caught in it? And there's more to you than that. I feel that sometimes in so much of personal change work, there is overlaid, there is a normative narrative. I am bad and I will be good. I have failed, but I will succeed. I I climbed the ladder of success, but it was leaning against the wrong wall. It's like we learn because of the society outsources problems to the individual and takes no responsibility and is trying to take less responsibility for assuring that we live in something that's wholesome. Um, we blame ourselves. That's convenient for the dominant late stage capitalism, if you will. It's co very convenient that we blame ourselves and we struggle to do something else to fulfill our assumption of what is good, true, and beautiful. Yeah. I mean, first of all, yeah, Vicki, you're brilliant. <laughs> but one of the things I think about is what you're saying is, you know, in, so in society, we have 
especially capitalist society, we have ways of performing identity, right? We we gain status by achievement, like, you know, we move up the corporate ladder, or we, we you know, we become higher up in our nonprofit that we care so passionately about, or we like, you know, there's performance and display and consumerism. And so we build a status identity, and I talk a lot about this around consuming or working. And then so we have this alternative idea, like, oh, you know, if you just, you know, consume less and you save and invest, you'll be financially free. And then I think what I've realized in the last, you know, seven, eight years in the FIRE movement is FIRE is its own status identity, right? Like, um, you know, that that stage of two and three where, like, I'm, like, traveling around the world and telling everyone about it. And then, like, I become, you know, a FIRE guy and, like, tell everyone about FIRE. It's still a, It's still an ego mask, right? And, you know, the FIRE ego mask is still a mask. You get to that point of dysphoria, Jordan, that you're talking about, and um, it's a space of not knowing who you are anymore. And there's beauty in that, right? Like when you realize, oh, I'm I'm still playing around, pretending that I'm a thing when I'm not a thing at all. And that's like where real spiritual work starts when you realize, I don't know anymore. And that's the beginning of wisdom, I think. We are talking to Douglas Soy, who focuses on people finding their spirituality outside of traditional religion. And Vicki Robin, who's a prolific social innovator, writer, and speaker. And we are discussing this idea of whether the financial independence retire early movement should come with a warning label. We're going to take a short break. I am Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up to date first party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, service key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. 
Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. We are back with Douglas Soy. In 2020, in the midst of a pandemic, he started a two-year program to become a Franciscan spiritual director. He's interested in the nexus between our financial independence and our inner liberation. We are also talking with Vicki Robin. She's co-author with Joe Dominguez of the international bestseller, Your Money or Your Life, Transforming Your Relationship with Money and Achieving Financial Independence. Vicki, you were just talking about this idea that your money or life was actually imbued not only with the nuts and bolts of financial independence, but some of that spirituality that we've been talking a lot about here, that kind of search for dealing with the true enoughness, not just the monetary version. I'm thinking about the modern day fire movement, and I really do believe it is based today in what you both wrote in your money or your life. Why do you think we glommed onto the financial piece more than the spiritual piece? Because I That's definitely what, think that happened. It's what Douglas is saying, you know, uh, confrontation with um, our shadows, if you will, is the last thing anybody wants to do. Because it questions so much. It questions whether we're good, you know, whether we're true, beautiful, successful. We don't want to do that. We don't want to do that work. So it's easier to pay attention to money. I will say, though, as, as we're talking, we had three questions. It was like, okay, do the, all the mechanics, you know, add everything up, put it in categories, you know, and then apply three questions. And those three questions were complete mind blowers. And people just don't do them. They only do the money. So first, is my dedication of my life energy to whatever this expense is, is it making me happy? Not am I happy that I've met my numbers, but is it making me happy? That's already an inner looking. And, and is going to surface fairly quickly the lie of your life that you've achieved all these outer things and maybe you're not happy or maybe you are, maybe you're happy with things that you're embarrassed you're happy with, you know, all the, all the time you spent, you know, like, you know, going to drag shows is actually your happiest time, you know, and, and the time you spent, you know, on a vacation in the Bahamas with your family really sucked. So that's the first one. The second one is, is it in alignment with my purpose in life? What I personally say is important. Well, totally, that's a that's a showstopper. There are people who did the program in Your Money and Life, especially in the earlier days when it was identified with sustainability, back to the land. It was identified with, with the squishier stuff. So it was introduced, the, what do I think is important? I used to tell people, it's like, if you're doing these steps religiously month in, month out, by the time you get to financial independence, you will have done some of this inner looking. So is it in aligned with my purpose in life or what I personally think is important? It's also a showstopper. The third one is the identity one. Basically, if I didn't need to spend money who would I be and what would I do with my time? If this particular expense was unnecessary because I wasn't going to a job, who would I be and what would I do? In theory, not the fire superficial, you know, Mr. Money Mustache interpretation of this mechanical thing, but these steps. And if 
you know, our contention was if people aren't doing those steps, it's meaningless, you know, and to me, that was the crux. That was the crux of the program. And I, I started getting to like, I'm all, I only want to teach that. So it's hidden in there. It's like right in there. I remember being an early or the early days of me content producing when I was talking about financial independence. And at that time, I tried to do a lot of exploration of some of those issues about purpose and the greater meaning of things. But I have to admit, like the ego stepped in at some points and I realized the posts that were about numbers or specific financial topics had more discussion, got more looks, more views, et cetera. Douglas, I'm wondering if we do enough as content producers to present that warning label. Like I know for me, especially at the beginning, it was it was hard to because I didn't feel like it was what people wanted to listen to. And I had this thing I was so passionate about talking about. Have the content producers, maybe of today, maybe of yesterday, did we do enough to warn people that there's another side of this? Well, I think the content producers, me, you, Pete, you know, any number of other fire people, were producing content in those early stages, right? Um, and I think, you know, Vicky, 30 years in, 30 years in, yeah, 30 years in, produces very different content about you know, what she cares about than what she probably did even 10 years ago. So that's part of the privilege, right? You get to grow in ways that you never expected. To me, like, fire does not, like, help you transcend the cycles of samsara, right? Like, we still vacillate between pain and pleasure, right? We still experience craving. Um, so it's not like we've become any more evolved. Like, we're still going to, like, you know, want comfort and move towards comfort and try and avoid anything that's painful. When Vicky talks about the shadow work, right? Like the shadow work is actually accepting everything that's within us. Um, and that's not a very comfortable process. But, you know, I think you you mentioned it, Jordan, like the goal really is not anything on the outside. The goal is wholeness. And wholeness requires seeing and accepting and loving everything inside. And that's the Carl Jung shadow work that I think Vicky's beginning to allude to. I just, yeah, I am curious what your own process is. You know, you got from, you know, producing content, you know, that sort of ego hit, oh, they like this one. I want to tell them that one. They're not responding as much. Oh, dear. I don't want to only, you know, that sort of conflict. How did you evolve to, yeah, how did you evolve? How did you fill the hole of enoughness? So for me, and it's a process that happens over and over and over again for content creation, and I, I always feel almost slightly embarrassed by saying this, but ultimately I've come to the conclusion that I produce content for me and not everyone else. Mm. Let me say that again. I actually produce content for me and not everyone else. The things I do, the things I'm involved with when they're authentic and intentional are mostly about filling that deep void in a hole I have. And it's my hopeful creative and artistry. I am not opposed to, and in fact, I rejoice in the idea that that self-flagellation may lead to other people learning and growing and having those own kind of conversations with them. Uh, but I almost had to realize that there was an egoist in me 
And a lot of these things I do is for that. Part of that evolution is for me to change my beliefs about purpose, which is what I'm going to be talking about in my next book, The Purpose Code, which is coming out in January of 2025. But what I realized is that when I shifted the idea of purpose from these big audacious things that I thought were going to change the world. So creating content, becoming a fire influencer and having hordes of people listen to me was a real big audacious goal that in some ways I had very little agency over because maybe I wasn't the right person at the right time saying the right things, or maybe even people weren't ready for my message, whatever it was. And changing that to a little bit of more of an egocentric, what brings me joy and what fills me I've started to realize that I actually probably have greater impact because I create communities of people who see me at my best and my most authentic. And through those communities of people, I can become teacher and mentor as well as student. And these are kind of like those binds that tie us to other people that truly, I believe, eventually creates legacy. So to me, that's been my evolution is I've gone from, I don't want to be doing this to get some big audacious goal of having lots of people love me or support me or tell me I'm good. Instead, I want to do the things that actually make me feel good. And hopefully that will create some of that community and connections and real deeper purpose that, that leads to impact and legacy, which is part of what I think we all want on some level. I love that. And it's it's very reflective of my own evolution, you know, because I did think that that there was some leave her long enough there was some or there was something i i was sort of very much call and response with the problems of the world you know problem oh here i come you know i've got the whatever um it produced a very very interesting and exciting life you know i don't regret it all but it was an illusion i called myself doña quixote and you know anything that was going on out there you know it was a windmill and you know come on sancho panza come on rocinante you know let's go so yeah, maybe it was just entertaining myself i know that many people benefited but i am bored with people talking at me i'm just bored with it i am so interested in people's real experiences you know like i in i now do not want to grow up to be hazel henderson or Donella meadows i want to grow up to be annie lamott and i want to tell true stories about how it actually feels to live and honest stories about the changes i go through and the more i do that the more i find that other people are telling their stories too and that's what this new work is that I'm doing called coming of aging. I want it to be a community of inquiry. I want it to be, I've always wanted to be a pastor. You know, I think Douglas, I've always wanted to like, you know, just, just send out a little homily and then, you know, make, you know, have a, have collectively massage it. And um, so that's what I'm going to do on my Substack. I, it's mostly about, I'm interested in doing some good writing about things that are true for me. But I'm fascinated with what comes back. I think that storytelling is, is primary now. How does it feel to be in this? You know, I mean, yes, we have to. And just so one, a couple, one other thing I've been noting things. I, I feel like, like the Western binary mind sometimes labels the ego as bad to show that we're good. You know, it's like, no, we, we, we have egos. Of course, you know, they're invested in everything. 
you know, and 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 so to have a sweet appreciation of all of our subpersonalities and how they're just playing out. It's like, you know, in meditation, we learn to just observe, you know, things that come in and and let them go, not make them go. And and I'm so I'm sensitive to any language that implies better or worse about this life journey. Life is a huge mystery and we are in a tiny slice. So like we can just get rid of the self-flagellation. And just one little thing I want to put in there from a while ago is we are primates. Status is survival. That we are we're trying to gain status. I mean we can be so compassionate with ourselves for that activity. It's so deep. So and none of us are going to be, get rid of it. None of us. You know, we don't even know if, if the Buddha thought, hey, this is really cool. I got a lot of people surrounding me now. We don't know that. So that's like your dad, your perfected dad. Yeah. It reminds me a uh, psychedelic researcher, uh, Bill Richards from John Hop- Johns Hopkins. He told me this year, uh, God loves egos. <laughs> and I'd like, pause, maybe pause, like, absolutely. Like, God loves egos, right? Like, how could God not love egos? Um, and we go the way we go. I think that Ram Dass said that. And eventually, you know, we move developmental stages, hopefully, you know, spiritual developmental stages where we never lose our egos, but at least we can see the games we're playing. I want to end with a question for all of us, me included. But as we talk about this, we relate it to the FIRE movement And we relate this idea that, hey, it would have been nice if someone kind of was able to warn people that the kind of blind search for enough money to be fire is not the whole story. But then I also wonder if that's something that truly can be taught or that's something that you on your own have to evolve through. And so I want to end with that question. Is giving a warning label enough or does each person have to kind of go on their personal evolution and journey to get there. Vicki, let's start with you. Is it something that can be taught? Well, for sure, we tried to teach it um, through your money, your life for many years. And when I found the FIRE movement, I presumed I was going to be connected with people who are asking deeper questions. So as long as I related the FIRE movement, I was raising these questions. I don't think there's an either or. I don't think it's warning label or not warning label. I think that we're living in a context that creates certain aspirations, certain fears. You know, I used to, yeah, like I used to talk about the musical chairs. It's like this whole financial thing is like a game of musical chairs and they're taking out one chair every, every round. There aren't, there aren't any chairs, you know, anymore. You just, You know, we think, okay, the very rich people got one of the 10 chairs, you know, (laughs) one of the 100 chairs. But even they can't rest. So I think it's very important for us to to have some compassion for ourselves of how hard we're struggling to live in this um, sort of these polluted waters. Yeah, I struggle with this question, Jordan, because, I mean, I'm super grateful I did fire super grateful right like and i can't and i think you know when i proposed this topic to you i I said like i don't think we should be telling people that fire makes you happy and i i think that's absolutely true 
like, you know, happiness is a mood, right? It comes and goes like a butterfly, as William Blake says. And, you know, your sense of contentment and satisfaction comes internally. And I think, you know, that's part of that's part of what you discover on the other side. And some people are, are far wiser than I, and they figured it out on the front side. Um, but, I mean, if I were to do a true pitch for fire, I would say it, it removes stress out of your life. Oh my gosh, amazing, right? Like, you get to do what you want with your life. Um, you don't have to wake up to a clock. And we say all those things, but somehow it just doesn't sound nearly as compelling. Like, oh, you'll remove stress, right? You can do all the stuff and remove stress in your life. And, and maybe the way I would put it is, like, the goal is not happiness. You know, the the goal the goal is truth, hmm. at least for me. And, like, the truth of myself, the truth about the world. Um, and you can reach it a lot easier if you don't have to worry about money. When I think about this, I love the hospice saying, which we use all the time with people when they're dying, is... You can only meet people where they are. You can't bring them to where you are. And so as someone who's trying to think thoughtfully from the other side, as someone who produces content around these areas, I can talk a lot about this whole idea of FIRE 2.0 or getting past the money to the important stuff or lifestyle design or purpose identity connections. I can talk about all those things, but if people are not there at the time they're hearing what I'm talking about, I can't drag them over to listen to it. But I guess what I really like is this idea that we can create content that's there as a repository and that when people are emotionally to the point where this message might meet them, it'll be ready and waiting for them. And that's kind of what I feel like our job is, is people who've been thinking about financial independence and then thinking about other things past financial independence for all these years, is we go about and talk about those things that are important to us it allows this information to be out there for when people are ready, if ever, to hear it. Yeah, you remind me of the philosophical uh, conundrum, the vampire problem, right? Like, can you choose to be a vampire when you don't know what a vampire is going to be like? Because you're choosing to be a different person. And, you know, I, I do think fire changes you as a person. And it's it's very hard to want something that you don't know what it's going to be. Because you don't know what's going to be on the other side. Yeah. I mean, I think in concluding that fire solved some of our problems quite a bit, but yet didn't come anywhere clear or close to solving all of our problems. And yet, I imagine all three of us would say that it was a necessary part of the road to evolving to hopefully what is our best selves, most happy self, most whole self. I'm not sure which term we want to use. I want to end this episode the way in every episode by asking each of you how people can reach out to you if they want to and what is up next. Douglas, let's start with you. What is going on and how can people be uh, involved in what you're doing? Before I even do that, you started off with money solves money problems and it doesn't solve non-money problems. And I think that's right, but it gives you space for the non-money problems. So people can reach out to me. I have two websites, School of Freedom schoolfinancialfreedom.com and that's where i teach fire um, from a spiritual perspective and then my work as a spiritual director um, can be found on douglassoy.com so as douglas t-s-o-i.com and vicky last thoughts and if people want to reach out to you or something big you're working on let us know yeah i guess the last thought is similar to what you're saying you don't have to be financially independent in order to do your inner work. 
But I must say, I am so glad I have the fundamental stability in my life and that I've invested my money over time in greater and greater financial stability that like in the pandemic, I've had, you know, such a huge opportunity to create and learn. And, um, you know, I didn't have to scramble when, when times are tough for collectively. Uh, and, you know, in a more sort of gutsy way, Joe used to say, I'm doing this so when the terrible times come and people are wandering in the street like ghosts wondering what happened, I personally know that I did my best to help them not, you know, to help them before this all happened. You know, in other words, he was doing it to relieve his own conscience about, you know, sharing the truth. So I'm very glad to be financially independent, um, according to my own best lights, which is not everybody's. And uh, I, for three years during the pandemic, I hosted a podcast called What Could Possibly Go Right? And I talked to people I called cultural scouts, people who see far and serve the common good. It, it is, <laughs> I was about to say it was in the top 5%, but that's all, that's metrics. Um, yeah, it was a wonderful ride. And I met people from all over the world. And um, And I think very many helpful things came out of that. Currently, I am writing more. I'm writing personal essays, poetry, um, and about the times we're living through, but not, you know, with advice about how to how to manage that. And I'm doing it on a substack called Coming of Aging. Uh, and um, I'm setting it up as a place to write, but to seed conversations. Douglas Soy and Vicki Robin, thank you so much for coming on Earn and Invest today. Thank you for so, so much for having us. It's great to see you, Jordan. Vicki, it's always nice to see you. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. I want to spend a moment discussing why I decided to do this episode. Admittedly, it came from a conversation Douglas Soy and I were having about financial independence. I spend a lot of time thinking about financial independence as well as retire early. As you guys know, the FIRE movement was what spurred me to start paying attention to my finances. It's what allowed me to leave medicine and start building the life that I want to live but I think it would be a mistake to say that the FIRE movement or financial independence solved all my problems. In fact, I would say that managing my finances, figuring out what my financial independence number was, and eventually getting to my goal net worth only solved a very small portion of the issues I was having. It allowed me to leave my job because I had enough money that I could live off of my own resources, off my own investments. And I had thought before I had gotten to this vaunted place that that was going to make everything better, and it obviously didn't. I found that I had all the same problems, all the feelings of not being enough, all the worries about purpose and identity that I had before getting to my net worth number. It was just now I had more money in my bank account.
And so I started to think about whether this is just a me issue or this is an issue that is an everyone issue. And that's what Douglas and I were talking about. Should fire come with a warning label? Should you be warned that it won't solve all your problems? Forget about my experiences. Forget about Douglas's or Vicky's. The real question is all of you out there listening right now, is the money solving your problems? And I've thought about this a lot over the years, and I've talked to a huge number of people in the earn and invest community because ultimately that's what this conversation is about. It's not about me, Vicky, or Douglas. It's about you. And over the years, I've heard from community members that they found themselves feeling lost, that they got to this financial independence place And instead of being excited, they, like me, found a sense of panic and anxiety, or maybe they had been fired for six months or a year and they had done all those things they thought they wanted to do and then found themselves overwhelmingly restless. This, in fact, was a major reason I started the Wealth With Purpose Mastermind, because I knew there was a subset of you out there listening, part of our community that it started to figure out the money portion enough that it was giving you options, but the options themselves were what was causing you stress. It wasn't whether I can make it to financial independence. It wasn't how do I invest. It wasn't how do I increase my income. It was now that I've done these things, how do I then transition to living the life I want to live? And in fact, in the Wealth with Purpose Mastermind, that's what we spend a lot of our time talking about. I can think of countless members who over the last six months or 12 months have really started to make life changes, have left their jobs, or have started the pursuit of hobbies or other interests to try to fill themselves up. And that's what I'm hearing from our community, whether it be in the Facebook page or in the Mastermind group, or when people write me emails about the podcast, a lot of them are saying that they've kind of figured the money portion out, but it's the rest that they struggle with. So I'm interested in what you all think. What do you think about this idea or concept that we should be warning people pursuing fire that the money is just a small piece of it and that they should really be starting to think about those other more important things in their life, like who they want to be and what they want to do And did you get to the place yourself where you had enough money, but it was causing you significant stress? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go over to the Facebook page. If you haven't signed up for the Earn and Invest Facebook page, it's earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. And I want you to respond to this query, should fire come with a warning label? Have you found yourself stressed out after you reached your net worth goal? Did you find that the pursuit of fire itself, the pursuit was more enjoyable than actually getting there? Let's talk about this. I want to hear what all of you have to say, whether it's on Facebook, you can find me at Twitter at at Earn and Invest, Instagram at Earn and Invest, or you can write me an email. Just go to earnandinvest.com and there's a contact page or docg at diversify.com. Whatever you want to do, get in touch with me. I want to start having this conversation with all of you. Did financial independence solve your problems? Did it do for you what you thought it would do for you? And more importantly, do you wish someone had warned you that maybe there was more to life than just hitting the ideal net worth number? 
Awesome. All right. I leave things running just for a few minutes to catch any of our after show. First and foremost, Douglas, thank you for pushing this conversation forward. Uh, you were the driving reason uh, that we put this together. And I'm so glad we did because uh, these things have been kind of bouncing in the back of my head, I think, as as maybe all three of us for quite a while. Yeah, it's super fun to talk to both of you. Um, you know, it would have been fun if, again, like if you said you didn't hit record and I got to spend an hour with you. <laughs> we can still do that, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just thought about the name of your podcast. Maybe you've evolved out of that. Yeah, I've thought a lot about that. You know, so we changed it to earn. It was the What's Up Next podcast, and then we changed it to Earn and Invest. And the reason why we changed it is because no one knew what that meant, the What's Up Next podcast. So it was really hard for someone to say, it's a mix of finances and lifestyle, et cetera. So then we evolved into Earn and Invest, which was like right on, okay, these are financial people who want to be involved in this podcast, et cetera. What Joe and I, so Joe Salcihai is helps produce the podcast. And we've talked about, yeah, we could either rebrand the whole name or we could just, we could have a better byline, like how to help you earn and invest in your life or something that kind of gets more to that 2.0. We're going past just the accruing money. And now we're talking about, well, what is that supposed to do for you? And how are you supposed to work on life from that? I, I will say that the complicating factor is my new book also is pushing me even further kind of from money and much more to purpose. And so I've been I've been kind of contemplating how to integrate that all because I don't want to step away from I still like the basic financial conversations. Like I love I love doing these kind of things. And then the next show will be someone talking about specifically like real estate or franchise investing or something like totally specifically granular about finances because I still that stuff is still in my wheelhouse. So trying to find a way that this fits all together and who I am with, you know, still maintaining some sense of cohesion is, is complicated. I wonder if it's the, if it's the, the Jordan show or, you know, <laughs> the Jordan show. <laughs> yeah, or something like show. that. You know, it's like when I started my podcast, the, you know, I was told it should be, you know, Vicky Robin and friends. I said, Oh no, 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 no. It's about the topic, not about me. So, um, but you're sort of the through line in your work. Yeah. And the question and, always is then if you get someone who knows nothing about you, will they totally be I open understand. to exploring it? If it just says the Jordan Grummet show, and people are like, well, who's Jordan Grummet? Even the Doc G show. There's another Doc G, by the way. But even mm. if it's a Doc G show, the question is, will that just be so much like, because you, it's hard, right? Because you want people to be able to look at the name at least and say, okay, that might be something in my wheelhouse. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off, wherever you get your podcasts.